and welcome to Creating in Color, sharing the creative endeavors of people of color. I'm your host, KB, and today I'm joined with Liz Chun, a staff writer who previously worked on Spirit Writing Free, Kung Fu Panda, Paws of Destiny, and Trolls, Trollstopia. How are you today, Liz? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me, KB. Thank you so much for being here. So, what is a staff writer? Ah, oh, that's a good question. You know, I feel like I learned a lot about writing and my job on the job, so I'm always a little nervous to answer anything technical because I might be wrong, but I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Okay. So I'm <laughs> I'm pretty sure as a staff writer um, that a staff writer is a writer who is staffed on a show like full time. So I think that's it, opposed to kind of like a freelance writer. So a staff writer like day to day will be working consistently and going like to meetings with the other writers. You'll participate in a writer's room and like there will be like summits, story breaks, punch ups, just like all the general writery meetings. And you're kind of working on the show on an ongoing basis with other staff writers and the story editors of the show. And maybe like the EP, if they're a writer too, will also be like on that team. And then a freelance writer in contrast to that would be someone who is probably like given like a script to write on a show. So it's more like they might be in the story break for that episode, or they might be in a summit early on if it's going to be a show that mainly has freelance writers or like no staff writers at all and is purely freelance, but then they won't be on full time. So instead of participating like in meetings week to week or something, it'll kind of be like they're assigned a script, they take it, and then they'll turn in that script for like the deadlines and stuff. Thank you. I didn't even know there was a difference between staff and freelance writers. I, I've never worked in live action, but I, I've heard that like the writer's room structures in live action and animation can be different. And I think there are more tiers in live action. So I think in animation in the rooms I've been in, there's only really been staff writers, story editors, and then maybe like the showrunner or EP, if they're a writer, they'll also be in the room. But I've heard in live action, like they do have more tiers. And I think in live action, staff writer is like the entry level writer position in a writer's room. But because I've never been in a live action room i don't really know what the extra tiers are but i think they exist i don't know anything about it so i believe you yes also there is a script coordinator in an animation writer's room who will be also helping out i feel like i didn't mention them but they're also really amazing and really important to the room so okay that's good stuff yeah i know we've previously last season we had a script coordinator on the show kyle white We could also go more into depth about the writer's room a little bit later, but it's just kind of interesting hearing the script coordinator's role. Do you have any experience as a script coordinator? I do. I've been a script coordinator on two different shows. So Trollstopia, like you mentioned, and then on an unannounced Netflix project, I was the script coordinator until I got staffed on to my first staff writing job, which I just wrapped up, actually. But speaking of Kyle... He's also a staff writer now, so that is definitely, yes, I know, and he's really awesome, really amazing, so if anyone is listening to this and hasn't listened to his episode of your podcast, I'm sure they should 9,000% go back and do that, because I bet he has some very coherent and solid advice, (laughs) but it's nice, because I think both of us are a great illustration of, like, that like script coordinating because it can be a really tough job but like it can lead you to where you want to go if you want to be a writer and it is definitely a valuable position to have and it's it's so important to have a great script coordinator so to all the script coordinators out there like you got this how did you get started in animation well i actually went to college for animation so i attended the rhode island school of design um and then At the end of my sophomore year, I got an internship at Nickelodeon. uh, And that was kind of my first taste of the industry because at RISD, um, it's not so much like industry focused. It's kind of like whatever you're interested in pursuing. So a lot of my friends ended up becoming more like boutique animators at like New York advertising agencies or like independent animators who do like music videos on the side or something. Like it's like more of a general program that different people take in different ways. I was interested in the industry. So when I got that internship at Nickelodeon, 
and it kind of showed me like the different roles and the different pipelines that exist in animation. And then in my senior year, I got an internship at Frederator as I was ending university and they were really nice and great too and as I was ending there they gave me the opportunity to work for them but they knew I wanted to be more like in the animation industry and I was in their New York office at the time and they were like we also have an LA office would you be interested in working there because we know you're interested in the industry and most of it's out here in LA in beautiful sunny SoCal so I took them up on that offer I was an office manager there for a little less than a year, and then through a connection I had made at Nickelodeon, I interviewed for a PA position at DreamWorks. And so I started off as a production assistant there, and it was a really great experience. Wow. That's a journey. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. I came here from the East Coast, and I don't miss the winter that much except for maybe like the first week where the snow is like nice and powdery but then it gets kind of hard oh so just because your cat is making a lot of noise why don't you introduce him real quick for everyone listening oh yes that is my cat leon i actually can get up and release him he woke up from his nap and he really wants to go outside so i feel like if i open the door he'll quiet down so I can do that. But that's my precious baby boy, Leon. Okay. He's a very beautiful boy. He's the most handsome, perfect boy in the universe. So, you know, just uh, just a heads up. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice that you had a connection in Nickelodeon that helped you get your PA job at DreamWorks. So you could just really get a huge kick into your animation industry career. Yeah, it was really good. I feel like connections and like... Not in the way that it's like, oh, my schmoozy connection here. I know the second son of some person. Um, I think just like forming good bonds with the people that you meet or that you work with and like just being a like a good kind person in life, not with any like duplicative motives or anything, but I think I want to work with people who are nice. So I try really hard to be nice when I work with people. And I think that's important is just to treat other people well and with respect. And like, I think that is honestly one of the most valuable things you can do when you work. If you want to get where you want to be or like even just make friends and stuff, it's good stuff. Just be a decent human being. I feel like the news makes it seem like it's so difficult for some people, but it's really not that difficult <laughs> to be good to other people. It's good advice, honestly. Did you always know you wanted to get into animation or did you have interest in any other industries? Well, I've always been really into like cartoons and video games and like graphic novels or manga and anime. Mm-hmm. Um so, <laughs> a big weep. Um so <laughs> growing up my parents are kind of always more like, oh, don't you want to be a doctor or like a lawyer or engineer or something like that? So I went to like a science and technology magnet high school and my mom was a software engineer back then. So at that point I was kind of like, maybe I'll become an engineer because I'm at this high school where a lot of people become engineers. But I didn't actually really click with a lot of the stuff I did at that school. It was like super competitive and I'm also not... I like doing my best and trying my best in, like, my own space, but, like, I'm not a hyper-competitive person, so I kind of, yeah, I kind of floundered around a little. I still, like, did well in school, but I was kind of like, what do I want to do with my life? I have no idea, and I feel like I am not formulating anything concrete. Though my interest in, like, engineering, I was like, if I did engineer, I'd want to work in video games. And that kind of, like, led me to be like, well, I want to work in something that's related to something that I'm passionate about and that I really, really love. And, you know, for, like, university and stuff, my mom was like, if you could do extracurriculars, what would you be interested in? And then that kind of led me down a track of, like, man, if I could do anything, I think I'd want to do art and animation. Because I would, like, doodle a lot back then, you know, like bad anime drawings and like I was like oh heck yeah Prince of Tennis uh it's so cool um so <laughs> I, I was heard like that one in a while <laughs> I know right like Inuyasha Prince of Tennis I I love like cartoons too so like hey Arnold but like you know Final Fantasy and I was like oh I'm gonna draw dudes with like 5,000 zippers um <laughs> and so I 
told my parents, you know, I was like, oh, I think I'm actually interested in going to art school and pursuing animation. And I have no idea specifically what I would do in regards with that, but I want to do it. I just don't know how it works. Luckily, like, I think I'd always been the more rebellious child in my family. And I think my mom saw me kind of be so, like, aimless in high school. So she was actually really receptive to that. Like, I think a lot of parents are always like, or a lot of people are always like, how did your parents react? Because definitely when I was younger, they were really strict. And they were like, where are your A's? And I was like, oh, they're behind the B's somewhere. I don't know. Um, They were definitely a lot stricter. But, you know, I think... They wanted what was best for me and stuff. And I think they could tell this was something I really, really wanted to do. So my mom was like super supportive off the bat. And my dad, I think, was more hesitant, but like in a way where he didn't want to say he was hesitant or he didn't really like. So instead, like, because he used to drive me to my school every morning because it was like further away because it was a magnet school. And like every morning for like a while, he was like, oh, yeah, like art school, huh? He was like, uh, you, you sure that's uh, you sure that's what you want to do, huh? And I was like, yeah. And he would be like, OK, great. And then the next morning he'd be like, yeah, so art school, that's yeah, that that's what you want to do. huh?" And I was like. Yep. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Um, So I could tell he was like a little bit less on board, but he never like openly said it. But you know, they're all they're all proud and happy with me in general and stuff. Not tied to career, but I think, you know, I'm a good cat mom and stuff. So yeah, they have stuff to brag about, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Leon's vet. Yeah, Leon's vet told me that he was two pounds overweight, and now, over the course of COVID, he's only one pound overweight, and that's very on track, you know. His vet would be very proud of me, too, so. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm making things happen, baby. (laughs) I'm making things happen. Well, I'm very happy for you. Uh, Congratulations. You're doing... Thank you. You're making it happen. What does it mean to be a writer? Oh, oh man, like, I feel like this could go, like, really existential as a question, but I'm gonna, like, try to avoid that because I'll, like, spiral into something weird, I bet, if I, like, go that route, but, um, and this is being recorded, so, um, (laughs) but I think in, like, a literal sense, being a writer, you know, means that you write regurgitating advice that was given to me by people who are way more like accomplished and talented and that I view as like role models and stuff. But I think especially too, when I was getting started and stuff, um, I would be like, oh, I want to be, I'm like interested in being a writer. I want to try to be a writer. But I think being a writer, it really just means that you write. So, you know, they'd always be like, no, you're already a writer. Liz, you're a writer because you've written stuff, haven't you? And so they were like, you need to say that confidently and you need to be able to tell people that. And I think that's something that I kind of consistently struggle with (laughs) in in my career stuff is like feedback I get sometimes is like, you know, be more confident because I think, especially when you're like early on in a career, it's easy to have a lot of self-doubt and like imposter syndrome. But I did hit a point where like listening to the advice of those people, if I was introducing myself to people, I'd be like, I'm a writer. And really like the job title is something different than actually being a writer. So like Mm. I am a staff writer now. So my job title reflects that I'm a writer, but that is separate from like me just being a writer. And I think, you know, someone's writing a book at home. They're a writer, a script coordinator who has like any samples written. They're a writer. I think as long as you're writing things, you're a writer. And if you want to be a writer and you're just sitting on writing something, just write it because then you'll be a writer. <laughs> like, because I think that's sometimes the hardest thing is to get that first step started of like, I'm going to commit to the idea that I want to be this thing. I'm going to commit to taking that first step and being that thing by doing the thing that the person does. So like someone who wants to be a designer, well, it's like once you start designing stuff, you're a designer. And Maybe your job title doesn't reflect that yet, but if you keep working at it, it can eventually, and, like, you are already that thing. So, like, you can't be hired as a designer unless you're a designer. You can't be hired as a writer unless you're a writer. It's not like they're gonna hire me to be a writer if I've never written anything. (laughs) So, you know, it's, like, I think, too, what's kind of important to being a writer, and I think a lot of people when I am like in interviews or when I'm talking to people, it's kind of like people will ask me what 
I feel like my unique voices or like what my voice is. And I think for all creative roles, like that's a big thing. It's like everybody has a unique voice and kind of being able to like solidify what that is. And I think that comes through doing whatever craft it is that you really, really like. And I think everybody has a unique voice, but I think people express that in different ways. And I think for a writer, that way is like through words and like writing. And I think for like a board artist or something, that is through how they board. So yeah, I feel like being a writer, just to be repetitive one more time, it just means you write things. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's not something that you hear very often because a lot of times I could speak for myself personally because like I kind of feel like you're talking about me at the same time of being like, if you're already doing this thing, then you're already it. It's just like your job title might not reflect it. But at the end of the day, you're still that skill. You're still that role. I think it's easy to like slip and forget about that and be like, I'm not an artist yet because... No one has seen me as an artist. I'm not making any money as an artist. But if you're creating art, then you're an artist. Yeah. I learned that through a lot of people who are just really amazing and, like, great mentors. And I I always fall into the self-deprecating loophole of, like, well, I'm just trying to do this thing. And, like, I'm almost afraid to commit to, like, saying out loud that, like, I do this thing or I want to do this thing. But like back when I was a script coordinator, back when I was trying to get my first script coordinating gig, a lot of writers, they told me, no, you are a writer and just tell people you're a writer and be confident in that. And I think, you know, a lot of people will say stuff like, who's going to believe in you more than like yourself is like, I think in order to really succeed at things that you're doing, you have to believe in yourself to agree. agree. So it's like if someone comes to you and they're like, well, I want to try to maybe be a writer and I think I can maybe do it, but I don't know if I, like, I'm not going to look at them and be like, oh, they are a writer and they know what they're doing. It's like how you present yourself. And that is something that I, again, really struggle with, but I think it's just something good to keep in mind and that I try to struggle with less every day. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I still wrestle with it a lot, but I think a little less than when I first started and I was like, you know, super roundaboutly, well, I want to be a script coordinator because I think maybe that I want to maybe try doing the thing that is the writing with the words, but also if I don't, it's okay, life is okay, you know. Um, But I think it's okay to commit to to things that you want and to say that you are a thing that you are. What does your daily routine look like? I think my daily routine when staffed was kind of – to know what meetings I had that day and to be prepared for those meetings and like generally ready to go. So like if I have a punch up that day, then so like a a punch up is like when you have a draft of a script and it doesn't have to be your own script. It's like any script from anyone in the room. And then everyone in the room will kind of go through and pick out places where they feel like, oh, this could be funnier if we do this joke instead. Or, oh, this moment might be plussed if we like tweak this line or like, oh, what if we add this quick like action here or something like that. It's it's basically everyone going around and trying to punch the script up. So uh, if we have a punch up that day, like then I will have the script ready and notated with like, well, when we get to this line, this is what I'm going to say. Like, this is what I'm going to suggest. And just by different ideas. And alternatively, like if I'm writing on a certain day, or sometimes I'll have to do both in a day, but you know, if I have a deadline coming up or something, then I'll be kind of sitting at my desk a lot and kind of like my face will be kind of like, and then like, uh, I'll just be staring at the screen and like typing and backspacing and like typing a lot and trying to churn out either that like premise or that outline or that script draft. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like when I was in production, I didn't super know what the writers were doing because they usually are in their own room. And then sometimes, like, they'll, like, be working from home on script drafts and stuff. And I think so much of writing, for me at least, is, like, I feel like sometimes if someone just watched me on a video feed, it would look like I am not writing in my day. But, like, there's so much thinking (laughs) that's happening. Like, I feel like I'll start writing a script and I'll hit this point and I'll be like, ha ha. I definitely should put a joke here. (laughs) And then I'm like, 
Boed joke. And then I'll, like, sit there for an hour and be like, this joke. And I'll be like, wow, that's trash. And then I'll throw it away. And then, like, I'll keep writing the rest of the script. But then later I'll go take a shower or something to try to, like, get away from my desk for a little. But then in the shower I'm thinking and I'm like, the joke. What's the joke? So I'm, like, shampooing my hair and thinking about that joke. So I think that's, like, a lot of the day of a writer is just, like, constantly thinking about scripts and like even for punch-ups it's sometimes I'll be punching up a script and I'll be like oh I think like I want to pitch something here that would like change the rhythm up but like I like think that and then I'm like I don't know about what that is um so I'll just kind of like move on but like it's still eating away at me in the back of my head maybe my day just looks like me being eaten away by a lot of thoughts while also typing a lot But yeah, I think also writers meetings are really fun and exciting. Uh, I I mentioned the writer's room, but like you're kind of in a room together. You're pitching ideas a lot. It's a lot of, again, the sage advice of other writers. Um, It's a lot of yes anding. So like it's fun because you get to build off of one another's ideas. I think sometimes people can have the misconception of like, oh, like, if I become a writer, I get to go write on my own and do this thing. Um, I think being a staff writer is a super collaborative process. It's definitely, like, a team activity. And I like that because I'm kind of an extrovert, and especially during COVID, I don't get to talk to people, so I feel like I was really thirsty for conversation. So I sometimes feel bad for the other writers in the room because I feel like I'd be like, hello, (laughs) talk to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, we all got along great. It was great. Um, But just joking around but uh yeah it's it's a lot of alone time sometimes and then a lot of like collaboration other times it's it's this and that but yeah mainly just so much thinking so much so much thinking do you have any tips for someone to get started with making it a little easier to like get your thoughts in order So it's kind of nice being a staff writer because normally you'll break a story in advance of you having to write an outline or something like that. So when you do go off to script, you'll usually have like all the points of the story. So actually in a lot of the rooms I've been in, the Save the Cat book has been referenced and uh, it kind of lays out a story structure. So like there's different beats to kind of hit. And like I think that kind of mimics like the heroic cycle which like one room I was in they preferred like the story circle which like if you google these things it kind of comes up but it's like you know like starting the journey and then like eventually you'll hit like the darkest night of the soul and like there's certain beats so like you'll break all of those beats before you go out and like write or like the three act structure Mm -hmm. um so in that way it's like nice and organized I think it's fleshing that out sometimes that can be a little bit more difficult if you're if you're trying to figure something out but I think the more you hear other people's solutions like when you read other people in your room scripts or even just like when you guys are discussing or breaking story or like you know it's nice because if you do hit a really big road bump and you're a staff writer you can just reach out and be like hey guys like I need a gag for this section and I'm just nothing's clicking like what do you guys think or what do you have um and then people will, like, email suggestions. There was one room I was in, um, the Trollstopia room, where they would do that, like, and email one another a lot. For me, I I kind of will, like, notate out, like, stuff that I feel like needs to be plussed or, like, that is missing in, like, a script. My friends and I talk about vomit drafts a lot, where it's, like, you kind of just vomit out a draft. So, like, okay. it can be bad or it can have beats that you're, like, this is a terrible sub-in for what will actually eventually hopefully be there. Um, But I think it's easy when you get, like, at least for me, it's easy when I get everything out, at least, like, in one phase. Then I can go back and, like, adjust what I want to be fixed and stuff. So sometimes that helps is just having that framework set I've heard, you know, that structure is always really important, which is, I think, where stuff like Save the Cat comes in and stuff is is to know, like, how to build that structure. But the best way to probably get better at all this stuff is just to keep writing, keep getting feedback from other people. And then I think over time, you start to build up that sense of, like, rhythm or or that sense of, like, what does this scene mean? Or, like, I think my my thing is, like, I will sometimes, like, 
write too much or like include like things like trimming I think is my thing that I am like really <laughs> um learning a lot through like the room and stuff is um and and that's super helpful um but it is just a lot of writing I think it's it's hard to say because so many writers have different methodologies and ways of organizing or like different ways that they'll get their scripts done and stuff so I th I think whatever ends up working best for a person and I think the best way to figure that out is by writing a lot and just trying out different ways I think there's no right way in creative work and stuff to to do things it's it's whatever is right for you <laughs> lovely thank you what are some specific roadblocks you try to watch out for? Um, man, uh, there's a line producer that I worked with named Mercedes Salazar. And I think when I first got into writing, she gave me the advice of like, don't ever let fear stop you from doing things. And I think that has been super, super helpful. I think pursuing a career path where a lot of things are subjective can be difficult because it's not like math where it's like, oh, there's one way to do it. And once I learn how to solve this kind of formula, like I can make it work. Like it is very like, well, who's reading this? And or who's like looking over my art or something? It's like person A could love it and person B could not like it. And it's like all very subjective, which for me is a little anxiety inducing sometimes because it's like sometimes someone will tell me like this is great and then someone else will tell me like this is not great and anxiety sometimes has at least like earlier on would make me really nervous about like showing people things or you know like even like feeling like I have something that's worth putting out there or that's like ready to turn in or something like that um and I think uh her advice of just not letting fear stop me from doing stuff is so viable because I think that that anxiety is really turning to fear and if I don't submit something because I'm afraid or if I am worried about like oh it's like not ready yet and like what could happen if it's not ready yet and I submit it but I think then you overlook like what opportunities you are missing and things so it's like I like wrote my first ever sample and I didn't have a ton of confidence in it. It was my first script. I had gotten feedback for it and I had revised it accordingly. But, you know, I think it's still kind of a scary thing for your like first ever whatever to ever put it out there um, and to show it to people. But an opportunity came up at DreamWorks on Trollstopia and, you know, uh, recruiting reached out to Stabney and she was like, do you want me to put you forward for this potential position? And in my head, I was like, well, I don't know. Am I ready? Like, should I just say no for now until I have more samples? Or like, what if this particular one is bad and this person looks at it and is like, this person should never write again. Um, But if I don't put it forward, then I will never be considered for that position. And yeah. if I put it forward, at least I have some chance, no matter how minimal it is. Like, at least you have some chance of getting something right. I like I'm sometimes working on samples and I don't I feel like it's so hard as an artist to ever feel like you did something perfectly or that you did something right or that there isn't room for improvement. And so like all the samples I have right now and stuff too, I'm like, oh, like I'm sure I could approve them. I will never commit to the idea that like this is perfect the way it is. But um, if I like let that hold me back from submitting to jobs and stuff, people won't even know I want that job. Like no one will even know that I am like interested or like I, I literally have zero chance of getting something that I'm not going to submit for. But at least if I submit something, like, that goes up. And as you improve, you can always, like, update people or send new things and stuff. But, like, it's not like once I send something, it's, like, set in stone. And I think, at least for me, that was, like, kind of a terrifying and daunting thing that really, like, I would block myself, kind of, mm -hmm. um, as I was getting started. So, yeah, just, like, don't be afraid and don't be afraid that people won't be open to like seeing you grow too. Just because you do something now doesn't mean that you can't change or update or grow or like show them that you've improved later. Like if anything, that's also really impressive is to be able to show that you like learn and grow. I feel like that's such a great thing for artists to do. I feel like if we hit a point where we're not trying to learn and grow, like that's pretty bad and like stagnating. So, you know. Yeah. That's very good advice. Um, again, I feel like you're talking at me um, because I, 
I know I've been in some situations where I am trying to pursue a more creative career. And I remember my very first pass at this career, as vague as I am right now as I speak about myself, I was actually discouraged from continuing forward with it from a college professor. And what? Yeah, it was a great environment. Um, it's messed up. Yeah, now they're asking me for money, and I'm like, y'all funny. <laughs> but I'm uh, pay them. <laughs> I won't. They got enough money from me. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't until I spoke with like a colleague who I also consider a friend and a mentor, um, who actually walked me through the process and actually helped me break down all the steps and what this job is and what needs to be done to improve, I actually feel like there's improvement. And now I have like a support system who want to see me grow and want to see me improve and really want me to see me succeed. And that's huge. So it's also not only don't get in your own way, don't let people get in your head to fuel getting in your way. Oh, heck yeah. That's, that's super true. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that's, I feel like now you're talking at me because <laughs> I feel like, no, but, you know, I think, too, like, people in the animation are generally so nice um, that, like, if if you get over any kind of fear you have and you open yourself up to talking to different people, like, yeah, you're not going to click with everyone, but you're going to find the right people and you're going to find the good people and the right and good people are the ones who are going to see potential you know and who are or who want to foster growth in like young people and who want to support them in their career paths and like I think everyone has the potential to do what they want to do you know it's just will the opportunities and the and the mentors and stuff and those kinds of things line up and I think you know it's not gonna work out for everyone because that's just how life is but like I think the more you open yourself up to like those opportunities and like people is like the more doors you're opening that you can like get closer and closer. Um, and I, I yeah. Oh, so wise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're all just sharing our collective. wisdom. <laughs> what support or resources do you use or recommend for someone trying to break in? Ooh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, I think there are lately I've been seeing a lot of really cool things like trainee programs for writing or apprenticeships. And I know like there are also writing fellowships, like the Nick writing fellowship, or I think like Cape has one. Um, and I think those can definitely help you if you submit and you try and like you get into one that will definitely like lead you into becoming a writer. But I think those are also really, really competitive uh, and I don't, I've met some people who have gotten them. I think more writers that I know, though, have gotten their foot in the door sort of doing stuff like being a script coordinator or being like a writer's assistant, which I think that's the right job title. That is, again, more of like a live action thing from what I know, because in animation, we only have script coordinators, at least the studios that I've been at. But I think in live action, there's like two roles. So the job of script coordinator and animation is split into two different jobs in live action. I think it's script coordinator, writer's assistant. But a lot of people I know have kind of found their way through that. And I guess if you can, like getting internships to getting, because like I started out again as like an office manager and then a PA and that was like through internships. And like, um, I think getting to know people and not being afraid to tell them what your goals are and sharing like who you are. And again, like for, for stuff like creative work, people really nowadays want to know like what your unique voice is, what your unique story is. And like, I think for people to really get a sense of that is like, you have to be again, like open and you have to be open to sharing that. I think it can be hard because like, at least for me, I'm one of those people, I'm pretty bad at social media. Cause I'm always like, don't look at me. <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to see what I'm doing. Don't look at, but um, I think, um, you know, again, like, I feel like I just regurgitate advice that other more experienced people have given me, but people know when you're being honest and open. And I think that helps when you're forming genuine connections with people. And I think genuine connections really can carry you pretty far in our industry. And, you know, I think 
sometimes people are like, I don't want to do a thing that isn't directly the thing that I want to do. But like, again, like, I, I mean, I was in production for a while. And I thought that was actually what I wanted to do for a really long time. I thought I wanted to be a line producer. But and then likewise, I've known people who have been in production a while, but they're not sure that's really what they want to do. And then while they're there, they kind of figure out what they want to do and they like switch tracks or like I've known people who have done creative work and then hopped back to production. Like, I think don't lock yourself into something. Just like be open to getting your foot in the door because that's oftentimes the hardest step. So like the people that you meet or if someone offers you an opportunity or the opportunity to send your resume in for something like don't be like, eh, this isn't really what I want. If, if you're getting started and you're trying to break in, like, jam your foot in the door, because, you know, and some studios, again, are better than this at other studios of, like, having, like, the leniency to let you move around if different tracks, but I think if you get in your foot, your foot in the door, you start meeting people, you start telling them your story, you start telling them what you're passionate about, like, you will find your way to what you want to do, you know, and um, I think, not that you'll just, like, fall there. You definitely have to try really hard, too. Um, so don't don't just be like, if I tell enough people I want to be an editor, I'll become an editor. Um, you <laughs> probably will have to put together an editing reel and stuff. Like, you'll have to try hard. But I think, at least for me, people have always been super, super vital in my career. Um, and I think if you get your foot in the door, you have access to people and you have access to making those genuine connections. And that will really help you find your way to like, if you want to write, write. If you want to draw, you know, draw. And especially once COVID is over, it's hard right now because like, I feel like if you start a job, you're really only talking to your department. It's video calls. You don't really run into anyone in the hallways and stuff. But once we're back in the studio... Like, I remember back when I was an intern at Nick, I would, like, get candy from the candy jars, and someone would be grabbing candy next to me, and I would, like, turn to them and be like, hello, I'm Liz, what do you do? Um, so, you know, like, and people are really nice and receptive in the studios, and, and, like, of course, like, never have a sense of entitlement. No one owes you anything. No one owes you any of their time, but, like, there's so many nice people in this world, and if you are a gremlin of an intern like me, and you're like, ah, tell me your story, I want to hear what you do, like, they will talk to you, and they'll listen to you, and um, I think if you also perpetuate that attitude, and pay that forward, and, like, treat people well around you, like, more and more people will become accessible to you. It's kind of like an RPG game, hmm. I guess, you know? It's like... You're unlocking bonuses and it's stat, you know. Any, yeah, I'm going yeah. off on a weird tangent, but like you gotta get you those know. heart events. Yes, socially. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> not that we should all social link for stat bonuses, but you know, it's just everything. You know, what, like what does animation? I feel like everything nowadays teaches you the power of friendship, but it's really true. Mm-hmm. But. You're entitled to nothing. Be grateful for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. That was wrong, though. I feel like you are entitled to, like, healthy and good working conditions and being respected as a human being and stuff. I I meant more, like, other random things you're not entitled to, but... That's a very good point. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. (laughs) I misspoke there. You're definitely entitled to, like, proper treatment as a person. Don't take crap from people. So, for anyone who doesn't know, I have guests fill out an outline or a form that I create an outline for the podcast. And, Liz, you mentioned you wanted to speak about friends and your cat. Obviously, these are two parts of your life that are very important to you. How does friendship and pet love play into your role or your career as a whole? Oh, okay. Yes. So, I know I already talked a lot about my cat, but I feel like friends and my cat and like even my family like that all just ties into like the big thing of like having a good support network or like just good support in life I think working in entertainment and a lot of other fields but like I work in entertainment so what can I say about other fields not really a lot but working in entertainment can be super stressful for like a ton of different reasons and I think it's so much easier to be on this kind of career path where stuff can be really up in the air and you can actually exert control over like a ton of things. Like I think it is really helpful when you have people to support you through your hard times. And I think also just to like remind you that 
career is not everything. It's it's like just one aspect of your life. I think it's really easy to fall into feeling like your self-worth is like tied to your job or like how your job is going and things like that. But that is not true. And in my personal opinion, like having good social relationships and stuff is just as important or like more important than having a good career because, you know, at the end of the day, like if your company fires you, you can't really do anything. But like, it's like, it's all up to your company or something, you know, but like if you have good friends, like they're going to be there for you. And like, if you do make authentically good friends, like they're not going to fire you for stuff. Like they're just going to be your friends for the rest of your life. And I think it's, it just helps me refocus on like, what is the bigger picture of life? Having my cat or like having my friends or like talking to my parents on the phone and stuff. When I get really zoned in on like, man, this day at work, I think I said something stupid and I'm spiraling and like really questioning, like, am I good at what I do? And that's all I can think of. It helps me refocus on the fact that like, that was just one day at work. I have a whole life outside of work. And tomorrow is a new day at work. I can move on and move forward. And they remind me of these things too. And it's just so important to build a network of people who really care about you and who you really, really care about. And on a rainy day, it just, it helps so much. And it really helps keep you grounded, I think. So that's my solid recommendation to everyone. (laughs) Aw, that's so precious. And Leon is a very good boy, so. Oh, yeah, he's, like, the best stress ball. Like, I mean, I'm sure you know this, too, KB, working in entertainment. Oh, my gosh. some Sometimes it's just so stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to have the stress balls, you know? And that's my cat. Or just squish my cat. Not painfully or anything. Very respectfully <laughs> squish course. him. Respectful yes. squish. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I have Zero, who's also a very good boy, so. Oh my gosh, Zero is beautiful. I follow Zero on Instagram. Oh my goodness, Zero on Instagram, Uh, underscore period, Zero the kitty. Oh my gosh, I, you know, I tell everyone they should definitely follow Zero (laughs) on Instagram. But actually, it's such a stress reliever to look at people's butts and stuff, and Zero is a handsome boy. Thank you, he's ready for any fancy occasion. Tuxedo style. Mm-hmm. Liz, mm-hmm. what was your upbringing like? I feel like I had a nice upbringing and that like my parents both immigrated from South Korea. I have an older sister. Um, and I think in some ways I have this weird knee jerk reaction sometimes to, to like them telling me what to do and stuff now that I'm an adult because I'm like, I'm not a child anymore. Um, but Uh, They used to be pretty traditional, so I think that's where that comes from, is, like, I think they were pretty strict and firm on a lot of stuff, so, um, and I was more the type of kid that, like, you know, I grew up in America listening to NSYNC and watching anime, so I, some of the stuff that they felt like was, you know, really important or really key to, like, a successful life in America, like, it didn't necessarily click with my worldview, Uh, And I think that would lead to some chafing and stuff. And I think even now, every now and then, something will, like I said, like, bump a little. But I think over time, I've, like, grown to realize, you know, I am in a different industry from them. I'm on a different career path. I have, like, a different lifestyle. And, like, likewise, they have different lifestyles and stuff. And I really respect that they even, like, want to share advice with me. And, like, a lot of the times, it's not even viable. I'm like, you're telling me to do this thing that... Honestly, in the context of animation, makes absolutely no sense. But I'm going to just smile and nod because, you know, or at least I try to. But, again, sometimes that, like, youthful knee-jerk reaction comes out where I'm like, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. But I I think my parents and my sister, like, I have always felt super, super loved, even though I have sometimes been at odds with them in that sense. Um, And I think that is, like, the most important connection I can have with them I think that makes up for all the disconnects we have with one another Mm -hmm. and I think honestly when I was little or like younger those disconnects felt so abrasive to me and it felt so constricting and I just felt really suffocated sometimes uh I felt like they were a little overbearing every now and then and stuff but like in hindsight now getting older like I really appreciate all of that I think I think you know 
maybe I didn't like that they told me certain things or maybe I didn't like that like my dad sometimes was for the 30th time are you sure you want to do art but like now that I'm older I see like that all came from like in their eyes a point of valid concern and valid love so I think I really appreciate that and I think it is kind of nice being one of the first people in my family to do like a more creative career path because I feel like I have a lot of freedom and flexibility to find my own way. Like again, I appreciate their advice, but it's kind of nice to have something that even they're not sure what kind of advice to give me. And then that makes it easier for me to reach out when I want advice on specific things as opposed to like constantly being given advice Uh on stuff that they kind of think they know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Oh no, am I turning this into a therapy session? I really <laughs> had a, a good upbringing. I think I appreciate it a lot. And I think like a lot of people's upbringings, there was like tension. And I think that really shaped me as a person and stuff. But I think it also helped bring me to where I am. I think also my mom has a ton of siblings. I have like a lot of family and like, I think for a lot of immigrant families, there's like that struggle of integrating into a different culture while retaining your culture or like the struggles that you go through, like, you know, when you're the first Asian person in like a school or something. And I think it's been something that I grew up kind of watching them experience. And like, I am again, really grateful for my family. I feel like they really blazed a path where I can have the comfort of pursuing art I think back in the day like especially when they first moved here the priority of course is like well we need to survive um and because they hit a point where they have the stride where like they could survive I could afford to go to art school I mean with student loans but you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's life it's okay I don't mind um (laughs) maybe Biden will come through on some loan forgiveness but Mm, please um right uh but I think all of that is really nice because it gives me basis for like writing things. It's like I grew up watching a lot of different people experiencing and struggling with a lot of different things. And and then like even those struggles like falling on me in some ways in the sense that like I would struggle with my parents, any cultural mindset differences they had with me and stuff. And, and that's all, I think, again, like not just for writing, but for a lot of creative work, it it's like, people watching and like learning from other people just seeing how they respond to different things or react or like what did they hold for 20 years that they never forgot or like those kinds of things are so key to creating things that are relatable or authentic and and so I think my upbringing gave me a lot of access to be able to like experience those things or watch other people experience those things. I sound like a creepy voyeur. I, I, you know, I, um, but like, it's true. You have to like watch people. I don't know. No, no, I understand what you're saying. I'm not getting creepy vibes from this. It's, it's like, you know, how people, I just like, you learn from life. Yeah. You learn from life. I feel like it sounds like my parents would like be walking and I would just be hiding behind a tree watching them. Like that is like a little bit true. There's like some validity to that. That you would hide behind trees. Yes. I would hide behind trees and watch my parents. No, um, but not like weird. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's more just like pay attention to like life and the things around you. And like, I'm lucky enough that the life and the things around me taught me a lot. And like, I learned a lot through those things things and and I think it's impossible for any one person to experience every kind of experience or live every kind of life Mm -hmm. like I I in no way can grow up as like I don't know someone in the UK in the 1940s because I just wasn't born in that time or living that life but I think at least like for the people around us that we can learn from we can like learn different experiences or like talk to them about their experiences and like try to I don't know, absorb as much of that as we can. So something like that. I feel like I derailed this question a lot, but my upbringing was basically the type of upbringing where I was like a sponge and I tried to absorb many things, Uh, something like that. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) I'm sorry, KB, you know, I'm just the type to ramble a lot. You're fine, you're fine. Outside of work, what kind of hobbies, side hustles, or interests do you engage in? Oh, man. I feel like 
so many people I know are so good at like side hustling and I want to be better at that. I, I'll figure something out eventually. I feel like in general hobby stuff, I like, you know, like cooking, watching shows, playing video games. Uh, I am like recently trying to doodle more now that I have free time coming up because uh, I did go to art school, even though I was like, what if I just did the story part and never had to draw again? Lol. Um, but I, I do, to a certain degree, enjoy drawing, so I want to get back to that a little bit. But, you know, I like playing with my cat, hanging out with my friends when there's not, like, a freaking global pandemic. Uh, I feel like lately I wish I was, like, more proactive about participating in things to, like, help foster young talent and stuff. I feel like, though, I'm doing the thing that I said not to do where you like hesitate because you feel like something's not ready or you're not ready or something. I feel like I am not yet qualified enough to like do something like that. But like, that's not true. There's like a lot of things I could, I could probably get on top of and stuff. So I need to just get over my imposter syndrome and be like, does anybody want to know about production? <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, I'll work on that kind of stuff hopefully in the future now starting now is what i'll tell right myself. now today's yes, the day right uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel are the next steps in your journey um well i literally just rolled off of my first staff writing job this past week so i think i'm gonna focus on like trying to get staffed again the voice in the back of my head that is the voice of other people who have told me to be more confident says to say that more as like, I'm going to focus on my next staffing job, which is 9,000% going to happen. Um, and heck yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, eventually it'd be really cool if I could move into being an EP or something or like a showrunner. That'd be cool, like a writer EP and extra, extra, super, super duper amazing if in the next 80 years I could be that on an original show that I pitch or something. I have time. I think human life expectancy. I don't know. Is it going up or down? I hope it's going up. Uh, um. <laughs> never mind. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, overall, I think in a more romantic way. Because, like, what what creative people aren't romantic, right? Like, we're all kind of romanticists at heart because we're like, <laughs> I can make a living off of art and <laughs> spoken word. Um. I think I I just like to be able to tell stories that, you know, resonate with other people and that resonate with me. I think outside of career ladder goals, probably like, you know, the never ending struggle of continuing to build self-consciousness. I mean, self confidence not self-consciousness that's what I'm trying to get rid of but okay. it's so deeply ingrained that even my brain was like you're just gonna have more of it no <laughs> I'm gonna build self-confidence there you go um and I think you know really grow into being the best writer I can be you betcha baby bet oh yeah you betcha <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can do it um you can yeah. do it Oh, thank you. Uh -huh. You can do it, too. We both can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you believe in me, and I'll believe in you. All right, that's And then good. you also believe in yourself. Okay, but you then also have to believe in yourself. Maybe next Tuesday. No, uh, <laughs> yes, I'll do that, too. <laughs> I will also believe in myself. It'll be great. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay, now is the time for rapid questions, where I'll ask you a series of this or that or yes, or no, or whatever else kind of questions, and you answer as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Oh, yes. If you were a potato, what way would you want to be cooked? Uh, I feel like I would just want to be a whole baked potato because it involves less cutting, I think. Okay. I, I think it would be painful to be, like, cubed or mashed. I feel like at least a baked potato is just one incision. Which, like, women have to do a lot sometimes anyways for, like, C-sections. So, like. You know, I, I'm not surprised that you were so quickly able to answer that question. <laughs> if only I could have answered your other questions quickly. <laughs> it's okay, you can cut it all in post. <laughs> have you ever been mistaken for someone famous? No. Not at all. If you were, who would it be? Oh, um, 
I think, man, that's a good question. If I could, is this like, hmm, is this like ideally who I'd be mistaken for? I feel like ideally, I could be mistaken for. I I I really I really like Pro ZD on YouTube. Does, does that sure does that count? Sure, why not? I don't know who that is, no. but I'll agree with it. No, uh, I don't know. I'll say Ariana Grande. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Why not? I'll take it. High ponytails? Yeah, that's you all day. That's right. Slick that back. (laughs) Insert hand hair motion that I realize no one will see, but it doesn't make a sound, but I did it. It's true. I saw. Can confirm. What's the strangest gift you've ever received? Um, I don't, like a hairball? I feel like I don't get too many strange gifts, but I'm one of those people who always, like, prefaces gifts with, like, please give me something practical. Um, I did recently get a pack of children's socks with cat's faces on them, but my feet aren't too big, so they fit, so I'll take it. But they are, upon not being worn, they are visibly smaller than all my adult-sized socks. (laughs) they have cats on them yeah and then once you put them on they're stretchy enough they fit on my feet it's not a big deal they have cats on them okay perfect that sounds ideal really yeah yeah okay um what song describes your life right now uh life is a highway by rascal flats of course yeah yeah you know the one it's like life is a highway oh Hey, I didn't pay for the rights of that song. Don't get me in trouble. Oh, 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 wait. Ooh, ooh. It's okay. I was so out of tune. No one will know. Oh, so okay. Never know. Yeah. Cake or pie? Cake. I like cake a lot. I think the moistness of a cake. Like, I feel like also cake is one of the only foods or like one of the only contexts where you can use the word moist and it's like okay because I know people usually don't like hearing the word moist but like when it's a cake like literally cake boxes will say moist cake you know yeah but you can't say moist pie (laughs) I feel like cakes are like (laughs) you can't say that no no I never even thought wait is that like a you yeah I mean that could possibly take be taken out of context for something dirty potentially Oh, well, that wasn't my intent. But, like, you know what I mean? Because in a way, pies, like a cherry pie, super moist on the inside, like very liquidy. Yeah. In a way, more so than cake because it's straight up as raw liquid. But it isn't right to use that adjective. That's you true. You can only really use it for cake. So isn't cake the superior carb form? Probably. Probably. It's also the yeah. way that you also put so much emphasis on the M in moist. You're like, moist. Oh, yeah. I think... I really like the O to come out strong, you know? <laughs> so. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. I don't get to use the word often. I have to really. Yeah, when you get the opportunity. Pop it out, you know? Are you a listener or a talker? I am a talker who tries to be a listener. I feel like if someone comes to me and they're like, I have a deep life crisis, I will shut up and listen. But also if I'm just like, chilling with friends or like someone's asking me a question then I will very easily start to ramble I think it's because I think too much I'm an overthinker I think constantly sometimes at night I can't sleep because I'm just thinking so when someone asks me to open my mouth everything I've been overthinking on just like it like vomits out you know Uh it's like a What's your favorite type of flavor? Sweet, salty, uh, savory, bitter, or sour? And I say salty, sweet, because I'm such a sucker for the combination of salty and sweet. Like, you know, like a chocolate-covered pretzel or, like, a pie and you put a little bit of flaky salt on top. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like a tempera shrimp with caramel. No, not Uh? the last one. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't eat that. But I was trying to think of more examples to, like, prove that I'm a salty sweet person. Salted caramel. Yes. Salted caramel. Very good. Salty sweet. So good. Or, like, a salty food with a subtle hint of sweetness. Like, is teriyaki sauce not a little bit salty sweet because it has sweetness and saltiness? Yeah, you're very right. I never thought of it like that. (laughs) Nice. Okay. 
And now I kind of want to ask you about anime. So I'm going to close this for the time being. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ranma Half or Inuyasha? Oh, man, that's hard. But I like Inuyasha better. I might be because I read slash watched it first. But I like Inuyasha. Also, like, you know, the love triangles and, and, and stuff. I, I like Inuyasha. And they yell things a lot. And for a young child, I feel like that. Like, they yell the same words a lot. Like, she's always like, sit! And then she's always like, Inuyasha! And then he's like, Kagome! So then it's like, I feel like for a young child, that was very attention-grabbing. And I was like, oh, I know what they're going to say next. Yeah, that's true. They would scream their names a lot. <laughs> yes, but Ranma's also gold. Rumiko Takahashi is a queen. Mm-hmm. I love her. I agree All with her that. work, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Powerhouse of a lady. Sailor Moon or card captor Sakura? Oh, that's really, really hard because I really liked both when I was growing up. Um, uh, I feel like if you asked me when I was little, I would say Sailor Moon. But I feel like if you're asking me now, Card Captor Sakura. Wow. Yeah, which is probably controversial. But hey, <laughs> 10-year-old me totally down for Sailor Moon of the two. I think I I just I really like them both. But I think Card Captor Sakura like it's just so cute now when I look back on it and like I feel like too with the nostalgia of being older now, I'm like, "Oh, like they're young and they actually look young and like that's a time of my life that was like so great and like I was their age when I watched it and like, you know, Sailor Moon, it's a little hard because I never felt like I was their age because when I was their age, they looked way taller than me. Mm -hmm. So, like, from a nostalgia lens, it makes me more nostalgic to watch Cardcaptor Sakura. But I do love Sailor Moon a lot. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I gave you a tough question. Thank you. I know. (laughs) I don't think I can answer it. Wait, no, tell me. Now you have to tell me which one. I don't know. There was just something so pure, too, about, like, Sakura and Shoran. Like, they're yes. so, like, wholesome and pure. Like, sometimes with Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask, I'm like, I don't know. You're no. kind of a mess. Yeah, I'm just like, toxic sometimes with yeah, them. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know about you two. But then, like, you know, by the end, I'm like, that's chill. But, like, I feel like with Sakura and Shoran, I'm like, they're so wholesome and good. Did you ever read Subasa? I read part of Subasa, but even in that, they're so like it's like so wholesome. It really know? is. Like they really, they just love one another a lot, and like you know, he does that stupid thing boys do when they're little and they have a crush, and they're like, kind of, I'm gonna be mean yeah. to this girl, and it's like now as an adult, I'm like. But why? Yeah, what's the Man. point of that? Why would... Oh, break... well. I don't know. But it's okay, really if... cute. It's really precious. It's so precious. And I like... If, and if I ever have sons, I'm going to be like, if you have a crush on a girl and you're mean to her, then you don't get any moist cake. <laughs> you get only dry cake. You get that old dry cake that's been you on the counter. Dry... <laughs> yeah. For the rest of your birthdays, no. For... <laughs> Thank you so much, Liz, for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Do you have any social media you would like to share with us? Yes. Uh, I, well, my Instagram is mainly just Leon, but both of I have Twitter and Instagram, and they're both at ton of chun, so T O N O F C H U N. But my Twitter has literally zero tweets, but I'm going to start using it, uh, probably also for pictures of Leon. So, you know, but it's fine. Uh, Everything is just my cat. I like artist Instagrams because you guys like post art, but I feel like if I write a paragraph and then I take a picture of it and post it on Instagram, it'll be like, why don't you write, why don't you take a picture of a random paragraph of a 32-page script? What, what is context? What does it mean? <laughs> that might be a new movement. Yeah. That's true. Just like a random line of dialogue. It's mm-hmm. like, so-and-so walks into the room, interior, something, something. I don't know. I like it. I don't know. I think that could be beginning of something. Oh, thank you, KB. I love your art. Oh, thank you so I also much. Check out on Instagram. I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, so thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Oh my god. But you know who we really should be thanking? The listener. 
Oh, thank you for listening. Thank you for If listening. you're still here listening to me, I'm like, you're probably here because KB sounds great Oh. and you're sticking around. I'm just <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you again, listener, for tuning in. Please follow Creating a Color on Instagram and Twitter and feel free to submit any questions for upcoming guests through our social media or our email, creatingandcolorcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in following me, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and twitch.tv at maybe it's KB. Thanks to Namikaze for creating the end theme and beginning theme. It's really just a theme song. You can find more of his music on the SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Namikaze. That's N-A-M-I-K-A-Z-E. Thanks to everyone for sharing Creating in Color with your friends, family, and coworkers. We really appreciate any word of mouth or even helping to push our hashtag at social media, hashtag Creating in Color cast. <laughs> if you're interested in supporting us, you can find us on coffee at coffee.com slash Creating in Color. Before we wrap up, do you have any departing words of wisdom for everyone listening? Yes, my departing words of wisdom are to follow KB. on all the socials she just listed and also to support on coffee um <laughs> Thank you. and also you know just uh good luck out there work hard be nice to other people and believe in yourself or find someone else who believes in you it's like grin lagan just uh you know until you can believe in yourself no just hit a point where you can believe in yourself i think that's a, a good idea Probably. It's hard if you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been Creating in Color. Keep striving. Keep trying. Keep creating. Bye. <laughs>